well, it was my birthday, and he came up and said, hey, I've got a present for you, and I thought, oh, yes. I was sort of standing outside my front door, and he was standing outside his, and he kind of said over the fence, defence of this party, babe. But I didn't see when Peter Jackson arrived. How would you like to go to the Lord of the Rings rap party? And I just went, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and so uh-huh. he gave me this ticket with him and his flatmate and his cousin, and we all went together and I only found out about a week beforehand. I think the story really is based on a biblical theme. Also, it is in days gone by. It's one thing to write a book, it's another thing to read it. And I don't think a book exists until you read it and you invest it with your own imaginative power and you bring it alive for yourself. People love this book and millions of people have read it and it's really interwoven into their fantasies. Some of the people who read my articles claim to have read Lord of the Rings 20, 30 times. Uh, He's universal. Tolkien had this great gift of conveying the miracle, the wonder of nature. If we don't recover our vision, and this is what Tolkien is trying to make us do, recover our vision of the sheer wonder of life. There's an awful lot of people out there who are just like you. There's something missing in their lives. The danger, the excitement, the the trials, the testing of one's mettle. I was taking an early morning flight and flying through this sort of mountain canyon area and suddenly there were all these, they're like the statues on Easter Island just sticking up out of the ground and it was just the most incredible sight and I thought, yes, they've they've got to see this. Anyway, I got the opportunity to show him, and as soon as I did, he just fell in love with it. And you know, within a few months, they were back and in an even bigger shoot than the first one. When I first saw it, I thought, oh my god, it's a mountain full of giant penises. Circumcised. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, and, you know, you can sit up there in the middle of the world and look out over the sea, and, and it's just fantastic. years ago, in the second age of Middle-earth, the elven smiths of Eregion forged rings of great power. Then the Dark Lord Sauron forged one ring in the fires of Mount Doom in the land of Mordor. This ring he made to rule the others, and their power was bound up with it, so that they could last only so long as it too should last. But I didn't see when Peter Jackson I arrived. first read Lord of the Rings when I was 18 years old, and I was actually travelling between Wellington and Auckland on a train, which took about 12 or 13 hours. And um, I took the book with me to read, and I only obviously got part of the way through it. And I finished it off while I was staying up in Auckland, and um, that was when I was 18. And I thought at the time, wow, this would make a great movie. And I was sort of looking forward to somebody making the movie. and. The animated film came out shortly after that, um, you know, which I didn't enjoy quite so much. And so I've sort of been a fan of the book who's been waiting to see somebody else's film. But I ended up waiting for so long that the the concept of making the film myself finally sort of entered my head, and uh, here we are. In the nethermost depths of the mines beneath the misty mountains, there it was hidden, even from the searching eye of Sauron, the Lord of the Rings. 
when I met Tolkien, of course, he was really uh, in the last year of his life. Uh, so he was, uh, uh, you know, old, rather sharp-faced. You know, he had a kind of, uh, an, by that stage, a narrow, thin face. Uh, and he looked rather like Gandalf, I'd have said he was average height or perhaps a bit above. White hair. Uh, the, but, of course, uh, people the were pipe. shorter then because um, of their diet. Uh, the distinguished appearance. Uh, yes, he, uh, uh, he looked like, a, like an elderly wizard. I can't remember. They, I think they would have announced it on Bilbo and Frodo's birthday. September yeah, 22nd. It was on the news. Yeah, it was on the news. I'll never forget saying that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah. and Peter Jackson's going to make Lord of the Rings uh, in New Zealand. Oh, but before that, you had gone on and on and on about why hasn't someone made a movie of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, and she drove me insane with that question, day after day. Why hasn't someone made Lord of the Rings? What's the matter with people? American Elijah Wood chosen for rings trilogy. Here we were, and the TV sound was off. And it came back on and it said um, New Zealand director Peter Jackson is going to turn the Lord of the Rings book into a, a trilogy. It's gonna be filmed in New Zealand and I was just You went insane. <laughs> exploded in my living room. I was so excited. I was Tears like, came to your eyes. I was jumping around like, oh my god, they're actually gonna do it and they're gonna do it here. I yeah. knew they would and they're going to do it at the It's one of the biggest movies of all time. Left producers say they're looking for people to play tall, slim elves by the appetite of hungry fans. We had this with Star Wars at Phantom Menace, they said secrecy, secrecy, but they really clamped on it. Director Peter Jackson's taking over factories and warehouses and the production crew start flying in. Oh, I just, I was round there having a cup of tea one afternoon, just visiting my neighbours, and um, they were in the middle of the negotiating for the film. And um, I just happened to say, oh, do you want a nurse? And Fran said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shouted up the stairs to Peter. Pete, can I be the nurse on the set? <laughs> I think Lord of the Rings has had such an extraordinary effect on New Zealand society generally. I, I can only really say how enormously enjoyable it's been living in Wellington for the last year, being able to hear um, the buzz of people when they see a certain celebrity or, you know, everyone has someone who knows someone who works for Lord of the Rings or, you know, um, who you know, got to hold a spear in one of the scenes and, you know, Mauro Pehu. My friends and I had, you know, great fun sort of, you know, pointing out Elijah Wood and Burger King or, you know, seeing Liv Tyler at Studio Nine. And I think just the fun that, you know, that some of the, the glamour of Hollywood has managed to come to Wellington. We just basically um, started in the industry with my husband working on a cruise. Because they have Basically um, risked our house and borrowed against that to um, build our first vehicle. And that was around about the time that um, Peter Jackson was doing The Frighteners. I never felt like I really sort of belonged in the world at all. It kind of felt old and boring. Like most mornings I have a you know, big bag of email that's come in because of um, la late last night I was posting up news and answering yesterday's email. And sometimes it feels like... Um, you know, you're throwing out a message in the bottle, you know, and it's like that old song by the police. You come back the next morning, 100 million bottles washed up on the shore, <laughs> you know. That becomes something of an addiction because you don't, you, you don't know what's going to wash up the next morning um, as a result of what we've done the night before. Book, and it was like, you know, seeing your home again for the first time in so many years.
I was approached by a firm called Three Foot Six, and they asked me about old-fashioned musical instruments because they were looking for all different kinds of instruments. Apparently, the hobbits at times sit around the campfire at night and tell stories and sing songs. And somebody told me about an interview with Peter Jackson on a big film website called AICN. And I went and looked at that, and I got involved in a conversation with a guy called Zamanon. Now, I'm going to refer to everyone by their online nickname. Basically, we just um, had to get a guarantee out of um, the production that we were contracted, and then we had to go to the bank and take security out. Zamanon and I started up a correspondence just about um, fantasy and science fiction films. So we were talking about that, and then, you know, I brought up The Lord of the Rings and that it was being filmed in New Zealand. Now, Zamanon already had... Um, little, you know, kind of homepage websites about his favourite films. Let's do a Lord of the Rings website. I thought, fine, okay, I'll, I'll report what I can from here. You can do all the web stuff. And and it was a hit. This is the time. Copyright law and snaps of longer You may not take photographs or video footage of this film set. The set and costumes and props are valuable copyright works. Three foot six limited is the equipment. Now whether it's in the movie or not, or if you blink your eyes you might miss it. Bloody hell. I was getting laid off because it was... Uh, I'm from Timaru past Christmas and travelled two and a half years, almost three, round New Zealand. And so I didn't know what to do, and Karen said... She just says to me one day, would you rather... I still don't remember even thinking about saying that. I was just standing there and it was just, you know, like... Um, I had what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity. Yeah. <laughs> to quote Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and, um, yes. Yeah, I, I said... Why should we bother sitting around home, not being able to see anything, not having any fun and having no money, when we could be travelling around New Zealand with no money? She said that. I said, yeah, great right. idea, and then thought, how the hell do I get out of this? Because this is a big thing. Getting a caravan, how do I sort of like, you know, make it do something else with life and leave me alone and I want to stay here with my garden. And then it said the Lord of the Rings and I knew that that was it. We had to go. Bloody we got ourselves hell. organised in six months and took off the 20th of December at 7 o'clock at night and we had to reduce our possessions solution. down to the essentials. Day, Karen gave me the solution and I grabbed it and I said, we will leave. And we were so excited because we were doing things others were too afraid to do. I say it all the time, but only to myself and no one. It burns, it burns, it burns. But it's the meek and the humble that save Middle-earth, whereas the great and the powerful just uh, are relatively impotent. So is your whisper about love, affection, friendship. What it finally imparts is hope. There is more than just this life. There is more than just evil. Hold it up, said Gandalf, and look closely. As Frodo did so, he now saw fine lines, finer than the finest pen strokes, running along the ring, outside and inside. Lines of fire that seemed to form the letters of a flowing script. They shone piercingly bright, and yet remote, as if out of a great depth. 
it's as though you come to know the place of you know, Middle Earth and it's a place that you can go. And I think that's why the film project is so powerful because it satisfies that longing to actually go there, you know. Being able to see it as well as read it and have it in our mind's eye is just that one step closer to, to having it as a reality. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. I'm, I'm, I'm be very, very interested to see the film. Be very interested to see because I, that was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the probability is I don't about... Think I, I don't think I actually come out until film three, so... <laughs> we might be on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah, I might be. Hundreds and hundreds of people There will be an awful lot of For a film, an awful lot of people in it for a country this size. So it's, it is almost... I suspect that's one of the reasons that we're interested. Certainly making three films at once hasn't been done in Hollywood ever, to, to my knowledge, and also being made a million miles away. And all the hype, the international hype. This has moved from being a local film made by someone. This is an international film. It's been talked up, but it, it, it's also that personal thing as well, I think. One of the things which struck me about working on the film is how much of a New Zealand film it is. Hobbiton. It's like South all over the country. Like, Minus um, Tirith, Upper Hutt. Hilton and Tiana and Queenstown. And... I mean, obviously, it's funded by an American studio and many of the actors are you know, English or American, but it's made in New Zealand. It's being... Adorous. Um, it, they're Sunday, filming with New Zealand landscapes. Um, even, you know, the quality of the light here is so you know, unusual that it will give the film an aesthetic look which will be pretty much unique. Lavora Lakes and... Loch Laurier. Yeah, just... Glenorchan. Depends on how long it took you to travel. Rivendell, Kaitoki, North of Wellington. Tongariro National You know, people really supported this film. They fed and housed the crew. They acted as extras. And I think there's an enormous sense of pride that this is being made by a local boy. Most people worked kind of about 16 hours average a day. Yeah, it was huge hours. Yeah. Especially those transport boys. So it was like we'd do like a 16 hour day and they'd have to pack up and move location before they could sign off. So they, they just spent days without sleep sometimes. If you have a day shoot, you turn up in the morning and generally speaking you'll have a call time, which is when you're due to turn up. You turn up and sign in on, on the box and say, yep, I'm here. Um, and depending on how many people and how busy the schedule is or whatever, you can either you either a go straight to wardrobe to get changed, or they have fist, um, and you can eat as much as you like. And lots. So for all the Polynesian boys that was there, that was great. Maoris and Samoans. You either go like and have breakfast first, and then go to wardrobe and get changed, or go to wardrobe and get changed, and come out and eat in your cumbersome costume. Say what you like about Mad Maidens, but no one keeps a better table. When you look back at it, we had all these orcs and Yorkies with their prosthetic heads on, and uh, there'd be. Yeah, People behind them were beating the hell out of them with, with, with rubber, rubber things. And um, To apply a prosthetic might take 
Um, it can take anywhere take like hours. up to 12 hours, mm. even for some of our <coughs> full body creatures. Yeah. Apparently, a hairy foot was on the market for 50000 Apparently, that was the asking price. And they price. were willing to pay $50,000. Yeah, feet take, they were doing like generic um, extras, applying feet, and probably we had to get it down to about 45 minutes. Mm. Well, some of the rad ass technicians were doing it in like 25 <laughs> like applying them yeah. airbrushing them yeah bang out you go on set so you have really <laughs> tiny people that had their feet and then the stars had their feet as well oh crikey there would have been hundreds hundreds of hairy feet they had to wear them all day and they had problems because they were hot you know i think they're made out of a silicon and they had to be glued on and they wore them all day so they basically it was like putting your foot into a, um, a rubber slipper and wearing it all day. So you can imagine how sweaty they got. Then I'd sort of go up to them and say, open their mouth, the, you know, the, the prosthetic bick on their mouth. Are you all right in there? You had to get their heads off before you could see whether they were actually getting medical help. Worse stuff. If, they were if, okay. if they'd so lost consciousness. It's very important to establish that I, as the medic, was going to make a decision to take somebody offset if they were in any way in danger, their health was in any way da- endangered. On one occasion, I think I took 10 people um, out, which didn't go down within about well, 15, 20 minutes. Half, you know, half the stunties were <laughs> reeling around with you know, stunned looks on, on their faces. Their future health surgery. was at stake. You know, I mean, if they'd right. had a hemorrhage they were breathing in. Sort of thought, oh, they were breathing yeah, in their own breath. It was very important right. to get their heads off. So you'd, you'd hear... Um, it, so for half an hour they'd be shooting, take one, take two, take three, take four. The, um, the, stunt, the stunt boss and I would be standing on the side and say, heads off, it's time for heads on. And we'd, I'd, I'd be timing them, like half an hour with the heads on was, was and then long enough, especially if it was a very hot too day. much to drink and they wanted to go and pee. As the production wore on, it was very physically taxing and a lot of these guys weren't, weren't too big and, and physical fellas and they started drop, the numbers started dropping off. And then there was a lot of guys in there, like myself and various other fellas who were just New keen Zealand to do anything. You know, because once we got in there and realised how much fun it was, although it was hard work, I was like, well, I'd love to have a go with a sword, extras, you know, to have um, a crack. Because they got the army in to do all the big battle scenes up at Mount Ruapehu. And um, the first assistant director would yell out, you know, action, and they'd all just go at each other and... Beat each other into the ground. Hack each other to pieces. Yeah, they <laughs> have at you. <laughs> yeah, there were broken arms and and lacerations. And if they'd lost consciousness, bad bruises and people got you know people got into, into hospital. In um, Lenorca, we had to get people all the way up to Queenstown, which was an hour's drive. You know, he'd yell, cut, cut, and they'd just keep going at it because they were having so much fun. And he's getting brassed off because the dead guys would you know they'd fall down dead. And then they'd get bored with that and stand up and start fighting again, you know. Oh, continuity, what the hell? <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> you lie back down there. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> what they did was they ended up training up a lot lot of guys who were more physically powerful, like myself, who were playing the Urukai. Lording it over the tosses. People who applied to be extras on the Lord of the Rings may have missed out after being labelled tosses. The good intentions never work. <laughs> We always played the baddies, so uh, we got to lock swords with I all think the, the good theme boys. which uh, uh, was created in The Lord of the Rings and which wasn't there in the first version of The Hobbit is clearly about the nature of power. 
the uh, thing that you have to understand about the ring is that it's immensely powerful, but it's also immensely destructive. There is no one who can be trusted with it. It's not safe in any hands at all. It's about combating good and evil. It's the smallest character of this world who goes out to um, you know, destroy this evil ring. It couldn't be a wizard, it couldn't be an elf, it couldn't be a prince. It had to be um, a hobbit who was um, you know, perhaps the most insignificant of creatures. You know, like a lot of these sort of art or craft um, interests, um, you're working often, mostly, on your own. And when you actually can share a commission or a project like this, it's a great deal of fun. We all had our own skills to bring to it. I was quite pleased that the harp has been promoted um, in, say, The Lord of the Rings, because it, it is a, an instrument that has faded away into oblivion. Almost, apart from in, uh, playing in the orchestras, you still see them. But uh, recently, there seems to be a, a, a revival in people wanting to play the harp. It can sound like the roar of the surf, or it can sound like the wind blowing through the leaves of the trees. It can sound like a howl hooting or a cry of a seagull. It sounds very natural, like or, or like a waterfall um, falling. I believe also, from a spiritual point of view, there are instruments that have been used in, in praise and worship. The Lord of the Rings is far, far deeper than Star Wars. Some of us would have spent 8, 10, 12 hour days at this, and um, even longer in some instances, because we had this tight deadline. We were talking here, as I said, about 60,000, 70,000 metres. And winding that is all one by hand. And there was 150 people six different departments, all departments doing totally different things, like you'd have one department would be making leather armour, um, there was a group of chainmail makers who made chainmail armour. We developed a, a system of chainmail which is actually made out of plastic tube cut very small so that they're actually like rings. This was not an easy film to make, um, you know, the, the Helm's Deep scenes, which is one of the, sort of the, the big battles um, in, in film two, was filmed in Upper Hutt for three months, there were night shoots, there was you know, usually rain. Um, the conditions were very difficult. And then, so they're made out of the plastic rings and then we actually got the plastic rings dipped in chrome plating so that no cameras. I shouldn't really tell you this. This is all very secret, but I'm telling you. No recording equipment um, of so any yeah, kind. So we've developed this system, and it's uh, it's a first yeah, for the it, world. It, it is. It's about a third the weight of of, of real chainmail. Um, obviously, it it has it doesn't have the durability of chainmail, so it has to be repaired occasionally when it gets smashed with swords and things well, like that. Knotting itself, um, you would do on a on a tiny, um, very small meshed, um, fine lace. Um, and it's one here at a time, and it's knotted in with a How they didn't needle. go insane, I have no idea. They did literally millions, millions of plastic links put together. So we made and hundreds and hundreds of pieces sealed with a, with a soldering iron um, so that they'd weld. So knotting they, just pieces. Just the chainmail in the movie is unbelievable, let alone um, all the leather work. The guys and girls who did designed it, made it, just fantastic unbelievably good stuff. The impression I had of, of being on set is that there was a sort of spirit of general cooperation. Yeah. That it was basically eight girls to try and, get and one guy done. in a room going mad. Ten hours a day for endless days on end. 
losing the plot. Actually, a 10-hour day conversation usually revolved around sex most of the time because it used to keep our minds stimulated. <laughs> Statistics in Wellington for the sexually transmitted diseases rose during the year that The Lord of the Rings was based in Wellington. I got that from, from the So character. whether it was because of The Lord of the Rings or whether it was just that Everyone was very happy that year, I don't know. After our first trip down south, I realised we had a huge problem on our hands. So I approached the um, Wellington Sexual Health Clinic and they provided me with huge boxes of condoms. I let it be known that I had them, but I put a box into each, each truck. Makeup, <laughs> grips, wetter, whatever. I remember one of them coming to me, one, one of the lads coming to me and said, they've got more in their truck than, I, than we've got in our truck. Heaps of people, um, heaps of alcohol, heaps of drugs, <laughs> all that kind of stuff just going around all the time. No one's really trying to conceal the fact that they're doing it and everyone was on another planet. On the second shoot, Bill came home from a day's filming and uh, said to our 15-year-old daughter, oh, you never guess who I've been with today. And she said, who? And, and uh, he said, oh, Elijah Wood. And she said, oh, my God, oh, my God. She said, can I come tomorrow? Can I be, can I be part of the ground crew tomorrow? So he said, all right, but you'll have to get out of bed early. So up she got, which is very unusual for her to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, up she got and off she went. And she came back with a huge smile on her face and this beautiful little photo of her, her with Elijah's arm around her. And so off she went to school and of course the whole, all her friends were just totally jealous. I took me about four hours and a few gins to decide what to wear. And I finally came up with a china doll top and some black pants and some high heels and off I went. Lord of the Rings is a fairy tale. It's an adventure story. It never happened, except somewhere in our hearts. That was probably the biggest buzz about working on it, was seeing the characters that, that you'd created in your head off Tolkien's words in front of Obviously, to, to me, it look, you know, from the pictures I've seen, it didn't look like what I imagined it. Uh, there was Hobbit in, in three dimensions and smoke coming out of the holes where they live underground. You know, you know like, Seeing and, Sam uh, and Frodo and, and Saruman, you know, talking with Saruman and you know, talking with all these characters who, who you've, you know, because everybody's interpretation of the book is different, which is probably going to be the biggest thing that happens when the film comes out, because all these fans are going, hey, 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 that's not the book. I but what tried everyone to has to read understand that's Peter Jackson's interpretation of the book. You know, when that's his I was probably what Tolkien was trying 12, to tell us, I think, and. Uh, it became rather intractable material for me, and I didn't, I must confess, get through the first book at all. So um, I have never read The Lord of the Rings. It didn't, somehow didn't, it didn't grab my imagination right from the beginning, and I, I just, it, perhaps just the way a little, the, the way that the language was, was couched as well. No fairy story has Tolkien's uh, detail of, of culture. He describes the, the elves, the culture of the elves and the hobbits 
and the dwarves and their language. It started, the work started off as a linguistic study. And there are people, yes, I assure you, who spend their time actually writing and reading Elvish. Tolkien is, 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 is just as he's a superb portrayal of landscape, he's a superb portrayal of language and culture. Old Tom in summertime walked about the meadows, gathering the buttercups, running after shadows, tickling the bumblebees that buzzed among the flowers, sitting by the waterside for hours upon hours. There his beard dangled long down into the water. Up came Goldberry, the river woman. I thought daughter. they were fantastic. Pulled Tom's hanging hair. In he went a wallowing. But it's been so long ago that I've forgotten it. I read the hey, books Bobby, over 30 years ago. <laughs> um, haven't read them since. I would probably be the least knowledgeable person about Lord of the Rings on the set. I don't know any of the characters. Well, I do because I've seen them and I've seen the. The, the, the prosthetics that we've made for them and things like that, and I've met a few of the actors. But basically, and so for me, no. it'll probably have a little bit more magic than maybe a lot of people who have worked for the last, you know, 30 weeks at 20 hours a day, seven days a week, you know. They know things pretty intimately. I would like to be an actor, professional. Um, I have an agent, and um, I had to go through the whole grueling process of, like, real audition. Get a script, you have to learn it. You know, the whole thing. It wasn't just With the, uh, auditioning for oh, an extra. Absolutely. I have a... Maybe they were looking having for used to something, live in the West Country in England. I, I had uh, a very convincing West Country <laughs> accent. Hello, um, how are you? Um, I've not seen you here for very long. You know. Anyway, so I went along and I took my shirt off because I wanted to see how muscly you are and all this sort of stuff. And I lumbered around the room a bit like some kind of ape, making terrible noises. And I, I didn't think I did too bad a fist of it, but and I, I did ask if I'd get to do the Hobbit thing, and they said no. And it didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, and then it couldn't hear a call from my agent saying, "Do you remember how to do the Movie Hobbit?" Movie auditions thing? bring warnings. Unofficial casting and then calls. I get another phone call. They're, they're, they're interested in you for um, a dwarf in a prologue that they're going to use for the film. It's all changed now. Anyway, would you be interested? <laughs> yes, of course I'd be interested. You know, well, we'll get back to you. And it didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. And then I get another phone call. Will you trace your feet and fax them? extras exploited. A lot of them are too scared to do anything because of the confidentiality agreements they signed and they don't want to lose you know, their $200 when, when a day. All the major parts have gone to overseas people or, or you know they've been on Shortland Street you know it just seemed a, a, an awful waste of resources. Uh, we actually went in a taxi and we pulled up outside and it was really amazing because there were just photographers everywhere and you get out feeling like a Hollywood star strutting your stuff down the cat anywhere in the world afterwards and say I did this on Lord of the Rings in the future that is kudos cameras flashing even though we weren't anyone important and you could sort of see that there was so much sort of hype outside and lights and music and food and smells and sounds and it was just in the industry we just knew this was going to be a highlight it was just going to be these things to get on and if you were on going to get on Lord of the Rings, you you were going to miss out basically. It was it was just a production everyone wanted to be on, and it proved to be right. I think for the New Zealand film industry, this is a massive deal. I mean, well, for the film industry generally, I mean, no one's made three films at once before. No one's 
really, I think, tried to capture a world this comprehensively. And for the New Zealand industry, obviously, it, it's huge. And in my two years working on the project, I've met so many talented um, craftspeople and technicians who really have an opportunity to do things in this film that they certainly wouldn't be able to do in the existing New Zealand film industry and probably never in, you know, in, in any industry. People say to me, you know, um, you know, aren't you excited? And I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm a jeweller. One uh, ring to I make jewelry. One ring to find them. I'm honoured to actually, have, you know, got the job to continue making them after my father made the first one. One ring to bring them all in in the darkness. We made them. twenty or thirty rings, fitting the description of the one ring. But there was just one original. It's actually really quite simple. It is almost a standard wedding band. Go back, he cried. Go back to the land of Mordor and follow me no more. His voice sounded thin and shrill in his own ears. The riders halted, but Frodo had not the power of Bombadil. His enemies laughed at him with a harsh and chilling laughter. Come back, come back, they called. To Mordor, we will take you. Go back, he whispered. The ring, the ring, they cried with deadly voices, and immediately their leader urged his horse forward into the water, followed closely by two others. By Elbereth and Luthien the Fair, said Frodo with a last effort, lifting up his sword. You shall have neither the ring nor me. When the b books came out in 1954, I have to say that it was a very bold decision by the publishers to, uh, to bring them out at all because nobody had ever really seen anything like that before. And uh, they certainly, the publishers certainly wondered whether they were going to sell any copies of this, uh, this thing uh, at all. They were braced, in fact, to make a loss on the whole thing. Uh, well, uh, the books were surprisingly popular and the popularity you know, kept on growing. But it, it, it grew over a very long period, and indeed, one of the surprising things is it's still growing. In a sense, I think he throws down a challenge in that there, there are so m many layers to the book. You can read it on the level of you know, a good story, you can read it on the level of fantasy, you can read it on the level of, of allegory. This was a story about, well, almost people. It was almost believable. It could almost it's, be um, It's a classical piece of music. It's, yeah. it's not really, it's kind of celtic -y. Um, the so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the soloist, and that's the the lead bit is kind of kind of a Celtic kind of tune, but it's classical. It, it's bass, class, yeah. classical bass. It's with it with an orchestra, and it's it's to represent when the, you know the hobbits are walking through the forest. Yeah. So, so bits of it are dark and bits of it are bright, and obviously the sun coming through the trees. That's we got to cool. stand in the doorway uh, of um, Bill's uh, house. Hello. Um, how are you? Um, I've not seen you here for very uh, long. We have no. a story about the uh, inspiration behind The Hobbit. Uh, and it's a very clear story, though it doesn't explain everything. But uh, in his middle years, Tolkien used to mark examination scripts to make some extra money, which is extremely boring. And he said he was marking the scripts, and he uh, turned over a page, and one candidate had just not answered a question and left the page blank, which he said was the nicest thing that can ever happen to an examiner. You open up there. <laughs> the Hobbit, and it's um, the first ten words. You remember them, yeah. Yeah, and a <laughs> hole in the ground. There lived a Hobbit. As I remembered those words very. Uh, and as soon as he saw the blank page, Tolkien wrote on the blank page, "In a hole in the ground, there lived a Hobbit," which is the start of the Hobbit. But he didn't know what it meant. It was like the world shifted 
lift just a little. And he then had to work out what hobbit meant and what hobbits were. So he started off with the word, and then he had to work out the thing from the word, and that was what generated the story. In a funny kind of a way, the hardest place to find was Hobbiton. Yeah, Hobbiton, you'd never forget. I will never seeing forget that, no. seeing that for the first time. It demands time. that um, English rural rolling... But he said in a hole in the ground there lived a Hobbit on the first page of The Hobbit, um, and he didn't explain the etymology of it till the last page of the last appendix of The Lord of the Rings, when he said that actually it must derive from Anglo-Saxon holbitla, which means hole builder. thinking of that in my head, and we came over the hill... And, and there it was, it was dusk, it was just on twilight. The stars were just above the hill and it was just glowing. And there in this little valley was this little lake and um, uh, the prancing pony, the pub, was inside the lake. And the tree. The big party tree, which was mm -hmm. so cool. And, and down the little lane. Yeah, the just um, amazing bumping into, you know, a, a hobbit that is all done up, especially the, um, the doubles that, you know, were tiny little people. Um, and I had my um, two-year-old with me and she was just, like, her eyes were just wide open. She was gripping onto me because she was quite confused by what they looked like and what they were because they were so real. One of yeah, the, the chief um, challenges of making a film with hobbits who were three foot six and you know wizards who were supposedly around um, seven feet tall and you know dwarves who were around four feet tall is obviously perspective. And um, Peter Jackson and his crew employed sort of various sort of tricks of the trade to try and um, give you a sense of the you know what is an unreal perspective. The hill was. Yeah. Covered in little windows and stuff, just yeah. like in the books. Yeah, and those round doors. <laughs> yeah. And at the top of the hill, there was the green door behind which, you know, everybody knew Bilbo. So lived. It, it was, sort of, you know, rather alarming watching these amazing. people walking around um, with prosthetic masks, you know, to, to correspond to the particular Hobbit who they were playing. You know, as they, you know, made calls on their cell phone or, you know, filed their nails or, you know, occasionally had a cigarette. Hobbits were an unobtrusive, very ancient people more numerous than they are today. It was just but they loved amazing. Peace and we went quiet. down into it and we walked around and we looked at all the little gardens that they were making. And, and we they actually, were all small. And yeah. the detail was incredible. Just as a physical reality, walking around sets which were made for, for hobbits makes you feel like, a, like an elephant and you're continually terrified you're going to step on something that it took a, a wetter technician several months to make. A friend and I hiked for three hours through the worst country. It was just full of supple jack. We couldn't see where we were going. Um, we had a compass and every time we checked it we could tell we were going the wrong direction. So it was exactly like um, walking through the old forest in, in one of the early chapters the hobbits are trying to... Um, get through the old forest without going to the Woody Windle or whatever it's called. Anyway, finally we struggled our way through <laughs> and um, there we were on the far side of the, the farm where Hobbiton was built. Um, and we couldn't see anything um, except a big flattened area which uh, later became the car park and trailer park. You know. um, and I was too chicken to cross the... <laughs> Across the farmer's land, anyway. So, so we, we we went round. We sort of went round the forest to get back to our car, while I was trying to jump a barbed wire fence and an electric fence at the same time. I managed to put my knee out so badly I was, <laughs> I was limping for weeks afterwards. It was just uh, it was so funny. I mean, it was so bad. It was funny. Our 
it was real. The whole thing was real. Of course it was real, and the hobbits was just hiding around the corner. They have long, clever brown fingers, good-natured you know, faces. They had just been there, and they had just had their cup of tea, and they had just gone. It was like that. And laugh, deep, fruity laughs. They were very little, very little, and perfectly proportioned the little people. Absolutely, completely believable. And for it to be that yeah. believable up close. Elves are gorgeous. They're all supermodels. They're all at least six feet tall, and, you know, they have perfect skin and perfect hair, and... And they get to wear sort of silk and chiffon, but I think that the humans have more faults and more anxieties. I didn't really make a decision to be um, like the people in the book. I always was that person. It's just that it brought it out of me. Mm, and what, it yeah. brought it to the surface. Reading the book altered Karen's personality. Or maybe it focused it to what it always should have been. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings really sort of gave me a, a reason to live and a reason to enjoy life. Aril berethlil toniel, hidivren penandiriel lo menel aglar elenaf, nachayred palandiriel lo galadren min enorat, fanuilos lelinaton nevaya si nevayaron.